It's Talking Twins and more with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au. It's Talking Twins and more, a multiple birth podcast, back for another year as we enter into season five. It is Nix joining you and my wonderful co-host from twinfo.com.au, Naomi Dorland. <laughs> five seasons of this I, I just can't believe it I still I, I look back when you contacted me right at the start to sort of say hey you know I've got this idea <laughs> yeah and I had had that but I I didn't have like I'd had that idea too but I didn't have the technical side or the know-how and everything and I just think it's worked out so well for two people who didn't know each other from a bar or so we know more about each other than we probably do about <laughs> many other people oh it's so funny like I'll talk to people about the podcast or I'll talk to people about my friend Naomi and they're like well you must have known her for so long or you guys must be so close I'm like no no but we just we we it just worked and it's just been so wonderful I I honestly wouldn't have wanted to share this with anyone else it was just fate literally that brought us together it is, I agree. And it's just been, from a mental health perspective for me, recording has just been amazing because I, I have something to look forward to each week and um, I love listening to our, all our guest stories and sharing our stories and, yeah, it's just, it just, it makes me happy on the inside. <laughs> I know, I'm the same and, um, you know, I think selfishly we sort of may maybe wanted to start this to share some of our personal experiences but I think where we've ended up four years down the track entering into our fifth season is just the ability to hear so many people's stories and every single one of those has been different even though we've all got multiples. I I cannot believe the diverse stories that we've heard and I feel privileged that people have trusted us because as we know your pregnancy and your journey to having your children is the biggest thing you ever do in life. And we're so lucky that we've been able to share so many people's stories, including our own. Well, just back that train up a bit. You know, we'd still not given birth. Oh, my God, I have forgotten that. Okay. So Let's... I don't think there's any animal that is pregnant for five years. <laughs> we've just made it into the Guinness Book of Records. Are we going to once again say that 2023 is the year? Are we are we committing to this? Are we going to try and do it? Because to be honest, and we've spoken about this for four years now, um, we've always wanted to be in a right headspace and we've always wanted to be ideally together and neither of those things ever happen because we're in different states. We've got the chaos of multiple lives, jobs, everything, COVID. So but let's not commit, but let's hope that we get... We, we give birth in 2023, all right? It's only been, you know, how many years for you? 11, 12? My twins are turning 12. We've been doing this podcast. That, this is our fifth year and we still haven't given birth. But that's all right. We'll get there, people. We'll get there. Nobody's busting a gut to hear it. <laughs> no, gosh. Oh, anyway. Um, but, Nikki, you've had a lot going on. I have. Yeah, look, um. Last year was a rocky year for us um, and I, I do, like, I know that our listeners and our, and people who follow this podcast would have noticed a lot of absences and I do want to again thank Tiffany and various people who stepped up to the plate to take the load for last year because both mentally with work and coming out of COVID and those sorts of things, um, we had a lot on, a lot. We're building a house, we're building a new business, we were 
going through transitions of change, all of that sort of stuff. But I also had a lot of health issues last year and it really impacted on my ability to pick up extra things, including the podcast, which has always been my passion, um, same as you. So it was really hard for me to admit that I didn't have the time or mental space to be able to do the podcast. It was really, really tough. Um, but I'm glad to say that, like, I think things are back on the straight and narrow. Well, they're, get, they're getting there. <laughs> So we might give birth yet. <laughs> There's hope. Hopefully I'll see out the podcast to at least give birth. No, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but, yeah, look, and thank you for holding the fort because I know there were times when I desperately wanted to commit to saying yes to record things and, and to keep moving forward and my heart was letting me say yes and then my health and my mental health that went with a lot of my health um, meant that I let people down. And that's not something that I like doing. So thank you for your patience. <laughs> Letting people down because I think mental health and physical health are just so important. And one thing I do like about this podcast is that we both share our struggles mm. with our, you know, the, the our mental health and um, our struggles. Um, and, I mean, not all of it is related to our multiples. The majority of it is. But... Um, <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. But there are things that are happening. You know, both of us are building houses. We're all doing um, other things. Life just in general is so mm. busy. Yeah. So I don't think you've let anyone know. Oh, well, that's that's nice to know. But it, it is one of those things when you, like anything, when you're passionate about something and it's it's it gives you pure joy, which is exactly what you were saying at the beginning of this. You know, this podcast gives us joy. It gives us um, breathing space. It gives us our own Adult time, which is something that I really struggled to get because majority of my work is from home. I'm very isolated when the boys are at school. Last year was our boys' first year at school, so that was epic, um, you know, and we run our own businesses on top of that, so it can be very isolating. And this podcast has always been a connectivity for me. So, yeah, it's, um, it was taking that element away, but it was also that point where I had to reach where I'm going, ooh, you're not okay. You need to focus on getting on top of that before you can do anything. Um, yeah. And I think that's and along big, with the struggles that you've had. Um, yeah, so that was the biggest, probably the biggest factor overall. Um, that and a few changes with work, which you know just just mean availability of time. But um, I found myself getting increasingly exhausted being able to do anything because of my health issues. So I, like many women, um, yourself included, have battled with you know the the torment of periods and menstrual pain and. Um, and the cacophony of things that go with that, you know, you go back 25 years um, and I've dealt with 25 years plus of incredible bloating, um, you know, abdominal pain, cyclically, mid-cycle, um, all sorts of issues, very, very heavy periods, which is something that I really struggled with for a good 10 plus, well, probably 15, 20 years before I sort of really started to try and get on top of that particular angle. Anyway, obviously going back, yourself included, you know, endometriosis was something that I guess we didn't really know a lot about 20 years ago. Um, I've, I went and saw many people. I mean, I, I was originally diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. I was told I would struggle to have children. Um, I was diagnosed with all of those sorts of things. But endo wasn't really flagged for me probably until about 10 years ago. Um and at that point in time, it was more so a case of self-diagnosis. I banged on doors of various gynecologists saying, I can't get through a period without 
being crippled. I'm, I feel like I'm losing half my body weight in blood on a monthly cycle. And I remember an ex-boyfriend of mine once saying to me, um, don't trust an animal that can bleed so much and survive. <laughs> Which I oh thought my was God. A, a very poignant thing. Um, and I think, yeah, probably about 10 years ago, I got to the point where I'm like, oh, it must be endometriosis. Like I have a vivid memory of when I was about 18, driving back, no, it must have been about 20, sorry, driving back from university in my little three-door black RAV um, and just suddenly being absolutely crippled with abdominal pain, like to the point I could not drive. I could not put my foot on the accelerator. And luckily enough, I knew my body well enough that I always, in my entire 25 plus years of having periods, have always carried Panadol and Nurofen with me wherever I go. (laughs) And just sitting in the car crying until this Panadol and Nurofen started to work to at least ease the pain where I could drive home. Um, And I know, Naomi, you've, you've suffered through exactly the same thing. It's just debilitating, isn't it? Um, it really is. And I, I, what I do like is that there's been a lot more discussion about it in the last yeah. few years. Um, and, again, you know, we're all about sharing stories and, and growing communities and things like that. And I do believe that there's a community of women, um, and not just women, um, of people that have just said, right, enough is enough. We need to make this something that's talked about a bit more um, and bring it out into the eye because it's, it is, it's debilitating. And I think one of the most important things to realise is it's something that impacts your entire life and that includes mm-hmm. your family. I mean, when you're having huge hormonal swings that you are completely out of control of and some days you wake up and you're bawling your eyes out and you don't even know why or you're snapping at people, or you're so, you, you're going out and you're you're bloated, you feel like you just put on four kilos overnight and you can't actually eat, drink, or talk properly because your abdomen's pressing into your lungs and your stomach's cramped and you can't go to the toilet and you can't wee properly, God forbid, um, and you can't stand there explain to people. You have to have a smiley face and you you know people just think you're a little bit crazy and I remember now looking back on it sort of through my early 20s and well, through my the decade of my 20s <clears throat> how much it has impacted on my relationships without me realizing mm. and it really for me it wasn't until I fell pregnant with the boys and that was a really curveball for me because Suddenly, after being told for 10, 15 years, you'll really struggle to fall pregnant, not necessarily because of endometriosis, but just because, you know, when we scan you, I mean, I've caught, I've lost count of how many abdominal ultrasounds I've had. Um, You've got a cyst here or you've got a cyst there, but it wasn't enough to diagnose this. And clearly you've got, you know, dysmenorrhea, you've got very heavy periods. There's going to be some issues there. So then suddenly falling pregnant with the boys was a curveball for me because I thought maybe, maybe I don't have endometriosis. Maybe mm. this is just my lot in life. Like so many gynecologists say to you, appointment upon appointment, when you go and see these people, um, oh, well, heavy periods, women just have to deal with them. And you just feel like you get to the point where you're like, well, you try spending every second week for me because it's a very cyclic thing. You try spending every second week of your life crippled over in some pain, feeling like you're heavy and weighted, not being able to go to the toilet, then once a month bleeding like this. Anyway, X, Y, Z. 
So I kind of then dismissed it a bit and I'd spoken to my mum who's a GP and she said, oh, look, you know, generally after a pregnancy, these things can even themselves out. Um, Unfortunately for me, it went the opposite. My symptoms in the first two years of the boy's life got horrendously bad. Um, Trying to think, it was about when the boys were two years old and I was driving on a country road, like a freeway between Musselbrook and Singleton in the Hunter Valley where I live and I had the boys in the back of the car and the same thing that happened to me when I was 20 happened again and I was completely crippled but this time I was driving on a freeway or expressway with two two two-year-olds in the back of the car and I had to pull over on this expressway with these cars flying past me at 120 kilometres trying to desperately find some Nurofen and Panadol to take to try and drive to get my kids safely to the next town where I could try and breathe and get control of my pain and that was the turning point for me I don't know why I get emotional about these things I think it's still the hormonal adjustment that I'm going through (laughs) Um, honestly it really is it it it, it's a it impacts you in so many ways yeah and I think it's not until you really start talking about the whole journey like this which to be honest I've never sat down and really talked about it because you don't think of it you've just always been processed to go it's shit period of pain just get on with it and then you think bloody hell you've been living in chronic pain and you've been living in chronic pain and anybody else with whether it's mild endometriosis or severe adenomyosis which we'll get to um it's shit living with chronic pain yeah 100% and it's just it just gets to a point of, of ins- where it's insufferable. Um, anyway, so long story short, that's where I reached. I started getting some investigations because it was ruining the quality of my life. I actually went down the pathway of gastric investigations first. So they put me in with um, uh, colonoscopies and endoscopies. That's where I discovered I was actually celiac, which was kind of a side point. So they said, look, let's deal with that. And then again, COVID hit. Um lockdowns hit getting to doctors wasn't as easy so I just stayed on the pill which kind of the only thing the pill ever did for me was slightly lighten the heaviness of the periods that I had and then I had a really really bad turn of by then again I'd re-diagnosed myself with endometriosis had a really bad endo attack and COVID was over and I went back to, I just moved back to the hunter where I'm living now. And I said, right, now's the time to get on top of this for once and then for all. I met my neighbor who had actually been through a long journey like yourself with multiple laparoscopic surgeries. And she said, look, you need to try and get into this specialist. He specializes in endometriosis and laparoscopic surgery because I'd never had a laparoscopy to diagnose it. And the reason that that happened to me was because when my first gynecologist in Sydney said, you probably do have endometriosis, he said, it's probably sitting on your bowel and I just don't want to touch it. He goes, I don't want to perforate your bowel. We're going to need a gastric surgeon in there and I don't want to touch it. And to be honest, I walked away from it for a good five to 10 years after that and went, oh, it's too dangerous. I just have to live with this. And again, wrong thing to do because I should have gone and found somebody who can specialise in it and try and get relief. Um, so luckily my GP was wonderful, hooked me up to see this guy. 12 months ago, I had a lapros, uh, I had a lap, my first laparoscope. Yes, diagnosis with endometriosis. But funnily enough, um, when I came out of surgery, 
um, and it was a quick surgery. I was in recovery and the nurse was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the doctor's done everything, said they only found mild endometriosis. He's burned off what he had to and you can go home. I was like, oh, okay. So I got in the car and I just bawled my eyes out and started crying like hysterically. And Chris is going like, what's wrong? I said, well, I, I can't go to the toilet. I've got constant pressure on my bladder. I can't eat and drink properly for half of the month because I'm so bloated. I am in agony and I used to get these ridiculously heavy periods and yet I've got this tiny bit of endo. And one thing that the specialist had said to me, which I do want to say just quickly, is when he did going into the laparoscope, he did say even it doesn't matter how much endometriosis you have, if you have a bad reaction to just a small amount of endometriosis, you can be in crippling pain. There are women out there who have a lot of endometriosis and they don't know. There are other women out there who have a small amount of endometriosis, but it causes an incredible inflammatory response in your pelvic region. So it's it's not gauged on that. So I kind of held on to that. And I know for you, Naomi, like how many laparoscopes have you had? Laparoscopy? Oh, um, oh, at least 12 more. Mm. So yeah, each time you're going back to get more endometriosis removed. Yeah. Yeah. And clear things up and to, yeah, just, I mean, I've had my appendix removed. I've, you know, all sorts of things because mm. of my endometriosis, not because I had appendicitis or anything. Yeah. Similar to a friend of mine, she had her appendix removed. Um, anyway, so long story short, when I finally got back to see the doctor, he said, oh, yeah, we got the endo. Um, but I was actually diagnosed with a thing called adenomyosis. Now, I'd never heard of it. Have you heard of it? I had, but it didn't apply to me. So mm. it was, yeah. So adenomyosis is pretty much known as endometriosis's evil little sister. Um, <laughs> and it's when the endometrial tissue grows into the lining of the uterus wall and you can't burn it out. It, it, it stays there. There's no accessibility to burn off the endometriosis. So as you get your hormonal fluctuations each month, um, or, you know, I, I suffer from a lot of ovulation pain and a lot of ovulation symptoms as well. So I was getting it, you know, every two weeks. Um, the endometrius grow, endometri endometriosis grows, it swells inside the uterus and it bleeds and it, you know, it causes all the swelling and all the dramas. Unfortunately for me, my uterus is a retroverted uterus, uterus as well. So it pushed down into the pelvic region even more. Um, but are basically swollen to a permanent size of around a three to four months gestation, pregnancy gestation. Wow. That yeah. is just, yeah. So I was basically walking around with a body that was behaving constantly like I was at the end of my first trimester of a pregnancy. Which is a real, um, I guess, a kick in the guts because, Literally, um, you're not, you're not, you're not pregnant, but mm. yeah, but you're getting the same sort of symptoms, and then you bleed, and then you get these extreme symptoms again because your body is acting and feeling like it's pregnant, but then also carrying this extra weight, and then the bloating and everything that goes with it. So it was a relief in some ways. Like I did get very emotional when they told me because it was finally an answer um 
And adenomyosis is incredibly hard to diagnose. And in fact, a lot of the time they can only finally diagnose the adenomyosis through a hysterectomy um, because you can't cut into the lining of the uterus without (laughs) removing it. It's just not possible to do it safely. Um, But given all the symptoms I had and what my gynecologist saw, he was 100% guaranteed and he was so experienced. And so... Yeah, so that was 12 months ago. I booked in for a total hysterectomy three months after that. Um, Work changed. I had a few things change with work, which was the beginning of that sort of period of my time where things kind of derailed. And I started getting really scared about whether this was the right decision because I think for me the hardest thing was, and I remember my gynecologist saying it to me, he's like, this is an optional hysterectomy. You can go on and have a, try and have another child. He's like, I don't know how successful a pregnancy will be given the size of your uterus. Um, but he's like, I can't write it out of the equation. But he's like, but obviously if you have a hysterectomy, you can't. So that was, it was an interesting situation to be in because um, nobody's saying to you, you've got to do this or you're going to die. But they're kind of saying it to you, if you want a better quality of life, um, this is the best option. That's so hard because I know you've been very open in the fact that, you know, you potentially wanted to have mm. another child. I planned <laughs> one, seeing the boys were so unplanned. <laughs> yeah. And it was something um, that was really hard to get my head around, really hard. Yeah. Um, and at the time, Chris's sibling had only just fallen pregnant with their second and so it was very, like, raw and I was like, should I, shouldn't I? Um, look Chris didn't want any more boys. That The kids after the boys, that made it a bit diff- easier for me. And then sort of realising that I didn't think my body was physically up to it um, yeah. was finally conclusive. So I actually moved my hysterectomy. The first one gave myself more time, which was bittersweet because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, but then it gave me more time to process my decision. And I'm still confident today that um, my body wouldn't probably have handled another pregnancy because I had severe bowel obstruction building from the uterus, so swelling that more could have been dangerous. Um, so long story short, about four weeks ago, I underwent a total hysterectomy. Um, so both ovaries are intact inside, but tubes, uterus and cervix has been removed at the age of 40. Not exactly how I thought I'd spend my 40th birthday, but there you go. Um, yeah, and so I'm still in recovery stage, but... um. I'm hopeful that it was severely, um, there was severe adenomyosis growing through the uterus. So I'm hopeful now that, yeah, it may, may be a turning point for some of those things I was suffering through. Oh, Nikki, how blessed are you to have your boys then? Oh, look, you know, I knew they were a blessing to begin with, but obviously even more so now. And I think one of the most difficult situations for me to be in when I was making my decision was my absolute fear of something happening to one of the boys and mm. consciously making that decision not to go ahead with having another child. I still struggle. I, I still get scared of that. But um, my gynecologist said to me, you'd never replace a child. And I think that's such a a strong thing to say. And yeah, I, I still firmly believe my body probably wouldn't have coped very well. And that wouldn't have made me the best mum I can be in the situation I'm in today. That's true, isn't it? Because, I mean, that's all we ever strive to be. Yeah. You don't that's know what the future holds. You can't make decisions based on 
fear of the unknown. So I made yeah. my decision based on the fact that at the moment I haven't had the energy, time and enthusiasm to be the mum I want to be or the friend I want to be or the person that I want to be. Um, so that's why I made my decision. And to be honest, now that it's done, not for a second have I regretted it except for the pain and the discomfort. It's really crappy yeah. to recover from. It is a horrible procedure. <laughs> um, but there hasn't been a moment where I thought, oh, God, what have I done? Um, I'm just yeah. hopeful that long-term it's successful and I get the outcome that I'm hoping for. So there 100%. you go. <laughs> That's where I've been well, in the last 12 months. <laughs> to be back on the couch. I know. I know. You've been... You have really been through the ringer. Thank no, you for sharing that. Look, um, I really miss you. Um, and it's just so good to be back on air with you and yeah. and sharing our stories because that's yeah. why we, we do this, isn't it? Exactly. And look, thank you for giving me a moment to to explain what I've been through. And we have some incredible guests lined up um, this season and some of their stories Aren't, aren't even on par with what I've been through in terms of uh, having to deal with so much more. So I, I am very blessed and I am very grateful and I never want this sort of to be a poor me. I just want, I've just always wanted women to say, if you really are struggling with your periods and you're really struggling with your hormones, get help. It is hard. I mean, it is I know crippling. I've spoken about it before. I mean, I obviously I went through my own endometriosis battle for so long, but, I mean, I was um, fully menopause by 42 or something, mm. uh, just naturally, So, which is an indicator why um, I had obviously such a low ovarian reserve when I was going through the IVF to have my babies. But everything is in hindsight. Yeah, everything exactly. Everything is in hindsight. Yeah. And unfortunately, our bodies we just don't know no and you've just got to do you know the, the best that you can do to keep yourself on top of things and you, you get life makes these tough decisions and like they don't know if anything will trigger early menopause or what destabilization because everybody has a different outcome and um but I think that's the thing like you just listen to your body and if you're not if you're really not okay and it took me way too long but in hindsight I also have my boys like if I'd done something earlier would I wouldn't I you just don't know um but if you're really in pain you know try and get something done because it's quality of life again like you don't know what the future holds so I, I just think it's great that the conversation's being opened up more I'm not one of those endo warriors because I never really thought of myself as an endometriosis sufferer and even now I I've just had a total hysterectomy and I said, a guy, yeah, I'm mild endometriosis. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, aren't you lucky in retrospect again, in hindsight, aren't you lucky that it was, that you fell pregnant with twins? Because you I know. still have yeah. children. You know, yeah. yes, it would have been great. And same in my situation. I'd love to yeah. have another one. I physically can't. But, exactly. You know, I've got my two and I'm so grateful that I managed to get. Yeah to have the experience of having twins and I've also got now two children. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. we have this wonderful podcast and we are back for another season. We are back. I cannot wait to share some of the guests, as Nikki said just before, that we've got lined up are going to make you laugh, make you cry, make you just feel alive. Um, and I can't wait to share that with you. So our theme this year is to try and um, – just share more people's stories on on things that matter as well as sharing just 
other people's lives and stories about their around their multiples. Yeah. But uh, we've got some extra special guests that we've um, organised this year to to share with you. So um, I'm looking forward to it, Nikki, and I'm so looking forward to season five. Yes, I know. And look, if people have a story also that they want to share, they can get in contact with us, can't they, Naomi? Absolutely. Just head to the Talking Twins and More, a multiple birth podcast Facebook page and send us a message um, and we will get back to you and organise a time for you to come on and have a chat with us. And look, keep your fingers crossed because we might actually give birth this year. <laughs> we may. We may. <laughs> I was I was just wanting to Google before. I think it's not like blue whales and elephants are pregnant for like 18 months or something. Oh, no, but, they're still not five years or know. four years. Taken- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, Nikki, I'm going to leave you back to the couch because yes. I know that you're couch bound. Um, yes. Yeah, let's let's start this season five with a bang. Let's do it. All right, we'll chat to you next it's week. It's Talking Twins and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au.